Hey everybody, it is Drags Mike Petralia back with yet another episode of the Jungle War podcast. I want to welcome in a new guest to the program, a new member of the rotation, as I like to call it. Thank you, Mohammed. He is Mohammed Ahmad. He does a great job covering the Cincinnati Bengals for Cleveland.com. Also is uh, the host of Strictly Stripes, the podcast featuring your Cincinnati Bengals on Cleveland.com. You should definitely subscribe to it and listen to it wherever you're da- you download your favorite podcast, along with the Jungle Roar podcast, which is also available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Mohammed Ahmad can be followed on Twitter, and you should be following him at Mohammed Ahmad TV, all one word. Welcome, Mo. Drags, my man. I couldn't be more glad to be on. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Great addition to the beat you are. Let's jump right into it because we have a lot to discuss after another epic Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Bengals chief game on Sunday afternoon, 27-24. The Bengals, the winners again by the identical score that they beat the Chiefs in the AFC championship. My biggest takeaway from that game, Mohammed was the fact that the Bengals could win a game in the fourth quarter when everything or many things were going against them. They weren't executing. They were making mistakes. Uh, They couldn't capitalize on mistakes that Kansas City was making in the first three quarters of that game. And then it was Jermaine Pratt entirely changing the focus and the momentum in that game with that strip of Travis Kelsey. Kelsey's first fumble of the season comes at a very opportune time for the Bengals. And the Bengals made the most of their chances in the fourth quarter. Joe Cool, Joe Burrow leading the Bengals on a couple of drives in that fourth quarter. But the biggest drive he led, Mo, was the drive that didn't result in any points, but the four-minute drive to salt away the game. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, it's so crazy because, like, and when you look at that last drive, there's a lot of things you could look at. But the play that everyone's going to remember the most fondly is the very last throw he made it was third and 11 i think they were at the kansas city 27 28 yard line and he has he has a defender right in his face i think it was mike hannah the defensive end for kansas city right in his face he's a split second from being sacked the first or second time of the game and not only does he get it off he gets it off to t higgins who is literally sandwiched by Trent McDuffie and Josh Williams. Literally, like, there's probably a half-yard window, I think, according to next-gen stats, for how much room he had to catch that. To get the throw off the way he did, for Higgins to make the catch the way he did, you could talk about that forever and ever. And depending on how far the Bengals go in the regular season and possibly the postseason, you could go back to that play and say, you know, what if that didn't convert, then... You know, at that point, what, you kick a field goal, you give Patrick Mahomes the ball up with about a minute 49 to go, and that is more than enough time for him to score a go-ahead touchdown with that amount of time. And so, Even man, with no timeouts, I agree with you completely. Yes, absolutely. Because, well, you know, you look at what they did against Buffalo with, like, what, 15 seconds left in the divisional playoff game last year in Arrowhead. If that didn't speak volumes, and I think that drive, that could have happened had that pass not been completed. That would have spoken volumes for itself. So man, what a what a throw! I mean, I could I, I'm still thinking about that throw over and over because I remember sitting in the press box thinking, how did he do that? Like, and I'm still asking that question: How did he get it off so quick? How did Higgins control it? But that that's what they've been working for, man. That's that's the kind of play the Bengals have been trying to cultivate the last two three years when they got both of them in 2020. I mean, that's couldn't ask for more on a play like that, really. Agreed, and 
you know, I just what stands out to me about Joe Burrow and the way he executes in when the game is on the line is he doesn't really uh, alter the way he plays the game. He doesn't change. He does his approach doesn't seem any more sped up. And with a lot of other quarterbacks in the game, even veteran quarterbacks, when the pressure is on, the tempo of the game speeds up and they make mistakes because of it. And I'm not saying yeah. Patrick Mahomes made any mistakes in that game. He, I thought he played a very efficient game, even though the Bengals defense held him to a season low 227 yards passing on 16 of 27, uh, which is something we'll talk about in just a second. But the fact yeah. that Joe Burrow is able to execute in tight windows with so much on the line just speaks to me about the calm leadership that he has over this team. Yeah, I mean, you could call him Joe Burr, Joe Cool, Joe Shiesty. I mean, I know the, the nickname a lot of his teammates like Jamar Chase like to call him is Joe Shiesty. I mean, I was talking to T. Higgins after the game, and, you know, to kind of get to this next point I'm sure you want to get to was I said to T, and I asked Jamar Chase the same thing. I said to both of them, I mean, you guys know he's MVP caliber, but, like, does he really deserve to be in the MVP running after a game like that, and specifically against the front runner being Mahomes, who is still the front runner? And right. T. Higgins put it simply, he's Joe Shiesty for a reason. And, you know, Chase said if he wasn't in the race, he should be in the race already. So, I mean, that's the thing. It's like to do all that in year three. I like to say year two because year one was cut short due to that ACL injury. But in year three, to be so relaxed and fearless. I mean, there's no fear of failure. That's the biggest thing. There's Correct. no fear of failure that's in that locker room. Thing. But when you look at him specifically, if we're just talking about Joe Burrow, he's Joe cool because he's cool because there's no fear of failure. He's not afraid. He knows he's not perfect. No one is perfect. But whether he's perfect or not, he's not afraid because he's going to take the risks, whether they go right or not. Because at the end of the day, most of those risks, they fall in his favor. And that's what we saw on that last drive with the tempo they played. It wasn't a perfect drive. You know, there was two third downs they had to convert, but they did it. Chase converted the one third and five stretching out at the pylon. And then Higgins had the biggest third down of the game that we mentioned. There's just no fear of failure with him. And if you're doing that at year three, it, it's, it's scary, but beautiful to think just how much better he can get if he's not the best already. So I believe Mo that the MVP will be decided in the final five weeks of the season. And I agree. the Bengals, the Bengals have made their run. They're, they've won four straight. They stand eight and four tied with the Ravens atop the AFC. But there's a lot of season to be played and a lot of decisions to be made in terms of where everybody falls in the AFC. I think it's important for Zach Taylor to say what he said on Sunday after the game. And that is, we haven't won anything. And that is something I remember Bill Belichick always saying after a big win. It's a great win, fellas. Way to go. Way to execute in the clutch. We haven't won anything yet. And until there's hat and t-shirts after an AFC North championship, you really haven't won anything. And that message needs to be hammered across again and again and again. And I think this team is receptive to that message. That's something I wrote uh, on Tuesday for Bengals Beat on CLNS Media is that this Bengals team, I think, has the right mentality and we'll find out down the stretch what kind of mental aptitude, what kind of mental fortitude, I should say, that they have. And the Bengals have a team coming up in the Cleveland Browns that they have yet to beat in the Joe Burrow era, which 
is amazing yeah. to me. It's stunning that the Bengals yeah. lost five straight to the Cleveland Browns, including the 32-13 disaster on Monday night back on Halloween of this year. They've got yeah. to get over that hurdle. I think they will get over that hurdle. I think this is a, a different Bengals team. They know what's at stake. If they beat a team, they should beat, even with Deshaun Watson, even with Nick Chubb, they should beat this team. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, when you look back at the five losses that have all come uh, in the Joe Burrow era, you know, his rookie year and last year and the Halloween debacle you mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of things you could look at, but the reason why I think, and maybe this yeah, is too Ford simplistic. Didn't play but, in the season finale last year. That's one of the points. Right. Well, that's true. Yeah. Because they had won the North and they were resting almost all their stars at that point. But with exception to that, you could say those other four games, I think, and again, this is simplistic. People might agree or disagree, but I just think Nick Chubb and Miles Garrett have just been a bad matchup for them. I just think, you know, Nick Chubb, you could argue, uh, is the best running back not named Derrick Henry, or you could say is the best running back anyway after what the Bengals did to Derrick Henry uh, in Tennessee two weeks ago. But, I mean, he's elite. Miles Garrett's probably the best defensive end in the NFL right now. He's elite, to say the least. And, I mean, you look at that Monday night game specifically, if we're talking in the here and now this season, you know, Nick Chubb ran for over 100 yards. I think that's one of the only times, one of the few times, rather, that, you know, Cincinnati allowed over 100 rushing yards from one player. And then Miles Garrett had two sacks in that game, and he deflected a pass that led to that first interception, which I really think just kind of started bringing out those demons from those other yes, three games. Most I think, yeah, once that's just what happens. I think once you kind of get a murky start against a team like that, it just comes back to haunt you. And it haunted them with the A.J. Green pick, and then, you know, McPherson misses the field goal before halftime. Donovan's Peoples-Jones. I think that's another name. Like, and look out for him. I mean yeah. – Agreed. If you look at how he's played against the Bengals, he, he's had some pretty open routes, and that's a problem. But that's the other thing, too, is I think that's just the thing. They're a good team that just has unlucky matchups when they play them. But when you look at how they've played since that game, they've won four straight. They had that commanding win over Kansas City. They beat another playoff contender at Tennessee, specifically at Tennessee. And so, yeah, a lot has changed. And with respect to Deshaun Watson, I mean, he's – he hasn't played in 700 days until he played until that Sunday game. And even then, that wasn't a game they won because of him. They won that game because of their defense, because they had, like, I think two defensive touchdowns. Uh, so, like, <laughs> his footwork wasn't great. I mean, he's got a lot to clean up. And so, you know, again, I think if he were to get back into a rhythm, it'd be different. But he's not in a rhythm right now like we saw when he was in his prime, you know, before uh, he was suspended and before he sat out uh, the 2021 season. So I just think that's a matchup that the Bengals actually take advantage of, especially with the way they played against Mahomes. I think you have to be able to stop Watson at that point. Yes, and uh, we'll get to more about the Browns in just a minute. He is Mohammed Ahmad covering the Cincinnati Bengals and the Strictly Stripes podcast for Cleveland com. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, Mohammed Ahmad TV, all one word. I want to clean up the Kansas City Chiefs uh, storyline uh, before we move on to other things Bengals related. Uh, first of all, Justin Reed. Uh, think somebody <laughs> in the Chiefs organization, namely Andy Reed, would like to take Twitter away from him. Fill us in on what he said on Tuesday morning were tweeted yes yes i would love to and, and yeah actually i would agree with that whether it's andy reed or the other personnel I, I think they'd be right to do that but this is what he tweeted it was at exactly nine o'clock this morning a tuesday morning he said quote unpopular opinion we lost dot 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 but i was still right 
with the emoji of like your mouth zipped up cry <laughs> about it and i'm looking at it and he has let's see all, almost 1500 tweet uh, retweets mostly quote tweets and then only 3000 likes and the replies are cruel there's actually one guy on Hello, twitter ratio. Uh, his name <laughs> the ratio is there and one guy on twitter who has a good following from bengal's fans named zim he tweeted yes. a picture of a tuna can with reed's face in the middle of the tuna can because like do you, do you know the reference to the tuna can uh fill us all in so jamar chase earlier last week before the matchup uh he replied to the video of reed saying he was going to shut down first higgy higby then higgins then hearse and he just replied to him strictly saying tuna in a can with a cat emoji. And after the game, when they beat him, when he was asked about it, he said, tuna in a can, next question, and just laughed. Um, so Re- Re- Reed's really like, he's just burying himself deeper and deeper. I don't know what he thinks he's getting out of this. I, I genuinely want to know. I think it's <laughs> it, it's hilarious. It's a fun storyline. It doesn't hurt anybody. And if he wants to put himself out there as fodder, and the Chiefs sign off on it. If Look, Andy Reid wasn't thrilled with what he said. And I think we know that based on Reid's comments from Thursday and Friday of last week before the game with the Bengals. Um, but again, he knows this is that day. And even a guy like Bill Belichick knows it's the age of social media and you can't really shut guys up. If they're going to be that dumb, um, then they're going to have to answer for their own words. And that's Justin Reid. Patrick Mahomes on Tuesday uh, on his show on the drive 610 sports radio in Kansas City said the following and I don't necessarily disagree with the point he's getting at he does not consider the Bengals Chiefs Burrow Mahomes a rivalry yet why is that because the Bengals have won all three games and for their in Mahomes's words for there to be a rivalry we've got to beat him at least once and we haven't beaten him yet and so to me, I don't know about your take on that, Mo, but I think that's a legitimate take uh, from a guy in Patrick Mahomes who's competitive level now when he faces the Bengals next. And let's hope we get to see it in the playoffs. We'll go up that next notch. Oh, I couldn't agree more with uh, Mahomes. And you make a solid point. I mean, you look at specifically like he mentioned and like Tyler Boyd mentioned last week before the game, you know, Burrow Mahomes is shaping up to be the next, you know, Brady versus Manning. You got to remember what made that rivalry. And you know this because you covered Tom Brady for so many years in New England. The thing that made that so special is in the beginning, kind of like what the Bengals are doing to the Chiefs right now, that's what the Patriots did to the Colts. I think Brady won the first three or four. Six. Yeah, and and one of those was the AFC Championship. Yeah, the first six times that Brady faced Peyton Manning, Brady came out on top. Think about that for a second. Yeah. And they were pretty big wins too, right? Like they were at least by two touchdowns. They were, and two of them were in the playoffs, um, the divisional round in uh, the AFC Championship in 03 on their way to Super Bowl uh, 38, and the divisional round the next year on their way to Super Bowl 39. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, what made it so sweet was in 06 when the AFC Championship was in Indianapolis at the old RCA dome. Yep. And, you know, just, and this is so crazy because you can draw parallels. The Colts were down 21, three in that game. The Bengals were down 21, three at Arrowhead in the conference title game last year. 
The Bengals, just like the Colts, came back in that game and won. Although that was in overtime, they still won. Colts did the same thing. They came back and, you know, they had that that Marlon Jackson interception that people in Indianapolis will replay to this day. And at that point, you were like, that's it. This is the beginning. Like, you knew this was really the beginning. And so I think it might not have to take a comeback like what the Colts did or what the Bengals did. It might just take Mahomes beating the Bengals, whether it's in a blowout or a two-touchdown game or like a, a thriller like we've seen in the last three games, which have all been decided by a field goal. That's when you can sort of like snap your fingers and say, that's it. Like, that's the moment. Like, that's when you know this rivalry is just that, a rivalry. Maybe this is reading more into it, but I think you could also say that, let's assume Burrow just plays lights out the next five games. The Bengals went at least, you know, four of their next five, somewhere in that range. And maybe Mahomes, and of course, we can't forget about Jalen Hurts. Maybe those two don't keep up with the way, not that they won't play well, but they're just not going to play as well or as lights out as Joe Burrow is. And say he wins MVP, no matter what happens from that point. If he wins an MVP... And if, you know, they meet again, whether it be in the playoffs this year or in the regular season next year or whenever, and Mahomes gets the best of Burrow, oh, yeah. If Burrow has an MVP and then Mahomes says, well, I'm beating you this time after you got your MVP, that's when it's rivalry because it has to be back and forth. If it's one-sided, it it just doesn't feel as dominant. Brady Manning was one-sided in the beginning, but after a while from that AFC championship until, you know, the last time they met, uh, in Manning's last conference championship in Denver, you knew this was it. And, and it just as a matter needs of time. Fact, it just needs time. And, and as a matter of fact, Peyton Manning won six of the final 11 meetings between yeah, the two. Um, he went six and five against Brady after that 0 and 5 start. Let's talk about the TV numbers. Speaking of the Mahomes, the Burrow Mahomes rivalry or whatever encounter whatever however you want to term it i'm going to term it a rivalry even though patrick sure. free the tv numbers indicate that america is on to this rivalry big time and they had over 24 million viewers 24.6 million viewers on cbs watching that game on sunday from cincinnati that is the highest week 13 national game on cbs since 2014 and that by the way was the height of the uh, Brady uh, Manning uh, rivalry 2.0 when Manning was in uh, Denver by that time and and it really does speak to how these two teams have captured uh, the fascination of American football fans I really I really believe that what was that game in 2014? What was that week 13 I, game? I have to look it up. I, I don't know, but I'm sure it, I, if I had to guess, it would be uh, Brady and Manning because what the NFL likes That's what to do, I wonder. inside football, inside baseball stuff here, what the NFL wants to do when they're mapping out the schedule, the reason you see Beng- the Bengals having a lot of these big games later in the year, they want a team like Cincinnati, they project to be a good again, to be playing its best football. And good teams are usually playing their best football towards the end of the season. Well, you want two good teams playing their best football towards the end of the year, which is why with when uh, ratings begin in November, TV ratings begin in November and on through December, you see a lot of these prime matchups. So I'm sure back in 2014, it was either Brady against Peyton Manning or Brady against somebody else because it always was, always was. So here, here's what I think it might have been. It actually wasn't Brady versus Manning. I think it was Brady versus Rodgers. There. Because yep. 
the Packers, New England, they won that game 26-21. And I don't know if it was at that specific time, but with the way the orders lined up on the NFL archives, I think that was it because then Manning played on Sunday night at Kansas City. They won that game. So they did not play that week. Uh, they were playing different teams. But, yeah, Brady Rogers was also a big one that we've, we've been seeing. I mean, they met, what, in the NFC Championship less than two years ago. So, yeah, I think it was Brady Rogers, and that, that's a big one too. Can't forget about that too. Sure. No, no, no question at all. I'm going to wrap it up here by talking about somebody I think should be on everyone's radar uh, watching the Bengals for the last five weeks. Cam, rookie Cam Taylor Britt. He had the strip, the punch strip of Derrick Henry at the four yard line that was recovered for a touchdown um, in, in Tennessee by the Titans. Jesse Bates couldn't get to the ball in the end zone in time. And then on Sunday, he had three near great plays. One was the interception in the first half that he really should have come down with of yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Then he had a forced fumble at the goal line, but that uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, fumble was had already been ruled a touchdown. A touchdown. Correct. Yeah. And then the near tackle, this was in the first half, of Juju Smith-Schuster on fourth down. It was fourth and four. Juju Smith-Schuster gets five yards out of it. And Cam Taylor-Britt went up too high, went above the waist to try and tackle Smith-Schuster. He was able to shed him enough to get the five yards out of the play. Those three plays, though, are indicative to me, well, actually the four plays, if you go back to Tennessee, of a rookie who was always in position to make a play. And it's the thing that impresses me the most about Cam Taylor Britt in his rookie year. He always seems to be around the ball. And I mean, how impressive is that he's doing all those things you mentioned as the next man up, because we all know what happened to Chidobi Awuzie back on Halloween night. And of course, that's that's one of the biggest hits, probably the biggest hit injury wise, you know, the Bengals have sustained this year because he's done. So it's Cam Taylor Britt from now until whenever the season ends for the Bengals. And I mean, you think about it, he's a rookie. They drafted him in the second round out of Nebraska, you know, over the spring. And it's like, this is what they were drafting. They were drafting someone who, whether it was going to be this year um, in nickel packages or in place of injury, like he is right now, or whether it was down the road, depending on, you know, what happens with Eli Apple's uh, contract in the offseason, you know, like no matter what was going to happen, whether it was this year, next year, three years from now, this is what they wanted. And the fact that he's doing it now against, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Derrick Henry, and, you know, he's going to have to do it against Deshaun Watson here soon. And then later you got Tom Brady at Tampa Bay. Like he's going to face Tom Brady. He's going to face uh, Josh Allen. He's going to face the whole gamut to do all of that and do it as a rookie. I don't think people truly understand how big, big of a deal that is. You know, those plays you mentioned are more than indicative. I mean, imagine like he gets through this year and keeps doing what he's doing. I'm just going to call it and say, he's going to be a pro bowl corner in no time. I mean, I think Lou Andrew said himself, correct me if I'm wrong. He said, expect to see more Cam Taylor Britton in the future. Yes. I think the NFL definitely be on notice for him. I think he's a fun player to watch. He has incredible closing speed. Uh, he has a terrific uh, straight line speed. Um, he's just got to make sure he's in position and he's communicating and on the same page uh, with defensive play calls in the secondary to me. And, and that's understandable as a rookie, right? Coming into the league and given the fact, remember everybody watching this and listening to this right now, Cam Taylor Britt had zero game snaps in the preseason. He had zero snaps 
before his first game that he played back in October. He went into his first game without really any NFL game experience. And to expect a kid like that to get up to speed that quick is a lot to ask. It's a huge ask. And I think he's done remarkably well. Yeah, and I mean, you know, even think about other guys who have had to step up, like Dax Hill. He's had to play uh, a few snaps when Mike Hilton, you know, had that finger injury uh, earlier this season after the Cleveland game. Like, you you ask a lot from Dax Hill. You ask a lot from, you know, Cam Taylor-Britt. Like, that's the beauty of it is, you know, I remember I was talking with Andrew Gillis, who is one of my partners on Strictly Stripes podcast. And after that Cleveland game, we said, you know, the secondary is on DEFCON level five. That's literally how he described it was DEFCON level five because we pretty much knew Chidobi was probably out for the year. Uh, and then, of course, Mike Hill ended up hurting his finger. We don't know how long he'd be out. And then at that point, what you got to call, you got to get Dax Hill starting, getting more reps. You got to call up Alan George from the practice squad. Jalen Davis, you know, had to start for Mike Hilton. And let's not forget about him. I mean, Zach Taylor's praised Jalen Davis, too, for the few snaps he's played as a, you know, undrafted uh, player. And so that's the beauty of his, whether, whether it's, you know, Jalen Davis getting praises like that. Dax Hill, first round pick from the season. And then the next pick that came after him, Cam Taylor Britt. You know, it, it shows you the trust. Like you, you made a point earlier about just the fact that this team trusts itself to be a championship team. The trust doesn't just come from your starters, from your elite players like T. Higgins and Jamar right. and, uh, you know, Joe Burrow and uh, everyone else in between. It comes from guys on the bench who might not see the most snaps. It comes from your rookies who got to be a next man up like Cam Taylor, Britton, Dax Hill, and everyone in between. That's championship team. Your championship team isn't just built on a few guys. It's led by a few guys who are elite. And then you have that, that foundation being supported by all those other players I just mentioned. And that's really the beauty, I think, of what we've seen uh, from Cincinnati, especially in their secondary after all they've been through. All right, let's move on to another subject. We had a lot of news this week in the last 48 hours since the end of that Chiefs game. Kevin Huber uh, it has been waived. He will. Uh, he's done with the Cincinnati Bengals for now. He could come back on the practice squad if nobody claims him, if he doesn't want to sign. I shouldn't say that. If he doesn't want to sign anywhere else in the National Football League um, and he wants to sit out and just wait for the Bengals to re-sign him to the practice squad, Kevin Huber can choose to do that or he can choose to just retire and call it a career. But it's in the hands now, the punting game is, in the hands of Drew Chrisman, the second-year player out of Ohio State. Um, he had only one punt on Sunday. It was an okay punt, according to uh, Darren Simmons, the special teams coordinator. Uh, but the Bengals and Simmons are very happy with uh, what uh, Simmons or Chrisman has been able to do uh, with the duties as he took over four game, three games ago for the Bengals. What do you think of the way the Bengals handled the news with Kevin Huber and kind of keeping him on the roster and not going immediately to Drew Chrisman right away? And the reason I think that's important, Mohammed, is because the Bengals wanted Kevin Huber around to help Drew Chrisman. I don't think you could have asked for a better way to handle it because, you know, a lot of people saw this coming from afar, dating back to the, you know, the preseason. There's a very, very tight competition between the two, a healthy competition, I should add, but, you know, a competition nonetheless. And, you know, they made the decision to go with Huber because like Darren Simmons said, uh, like he said this week and before the bye week, Drew just wasn't ready. But I think in the back of their minds, they said, you know, let's give Kevin one last chance. 
because he's been there longer than any Bengal in franchise history. He's played more games than any Bengal in franchise history. So I think it was the fair thing to do. It is a business, sure, but you also have to be fair at the same time. And they were more than fair, you know, and he had a decent start the first three or four games. And then after that Miami game, you kind of started to see the rust and then it just got worse and worse and worse. This is a numbers game. The bye week was just a good point. Yeah, not to interrupt yeah. you, Mo, but uh, Kevin Huber's net average, which is the more important number than the gross average, just how long each punt is. The net yeah. average is uh, how much net yardage do you gain by punting the ball uh, each time? Kevin Huber's was 37.4. That was the second lowest in the National Football League. And, you know, taking a look at the punting stats this morning, uh, Drew Christman is at 44.7, and that's a good number. It may not seem like a lot, seven yards, but that number puts him in the top five uh, in the National Football League among punters. That's what why the Bengals made the move that they made. Yeah, like, like I said, ultimately, you know, they love Kevin. I mean, Darren Simmons has coached with him his entire career. There's nothing but love and mutual respect, but it's a business decision. And, and Kevin understands that. And I think that's why, you know, when they elevated Drew Chrisman the last three games until he ran out of call-ups and was promoted to the active roster, uh, you know, or at least will be promoted to the active roster with the way things are, they just, I think Kevin knew, like, this is it for me. Like, he even said uh, to a couple of reporters, I think he might have even told uh, me, like, yeah, there's no secret I'm not doing well. Like, he gets it. He, he understands right. it. And that's why, you know, as far as what's going to happen, I don't know. I Only he can decide that. I personally don't know that he'd want to go to another team just because. Yeah, I don't like, think Not so. only has he he's, – he's from Cincinnati. He played yeah. high school football at Archbishop McNicholas. He went to UC. The only NFL team he's played for is the Bengals. Like, this is home for him. I, I think just – I don't know. Another team could call him, and they might, but I think he's going to look at it as either I'm just going to wait for the Bengals to give me a practice squad position where, you know – he can sort of mentor Drew Christman to take that that starting spot, you know, for the near future. Or if it doesn't happen, then he'll just say, hey, I had a great career in the National Football League longer than a lot of people. You know, I'm a loved person in Cincinnati. And, hey, he's – you talk about Kevin Huber being a special teams guy, very well-respected person in, uh, you know, this city. So, you know, he has a great career. I mean, he's done nothing but good things. And um, you want to tell on a better note, you know, but, again, it's a business. And he's aging. He's going to be 38 next year so. He, he did the best he could, and that's all he could ask for. All right. On that note, uh, we will want to finish up on another Cincinnatian who uh, stands out in the community and does an incredible job uh, with community service, and that is one Sam Hubbard, uh, another Cincinnati product out of Moeller, of course. And he was honored this week and, and nominated by the Bengals as the Walter Payton Man of the Year candidate for the 2022 season. That'll be announced uh, Super Bowl Saturday. The winner will be. It is the most prestigious award handed out by the NFL. The most valuable player is voted on by writers uh, and is essentially an AP award, Associated Press Award. Um, for the most valuable player. But the most distinguished honor that the NFL gives out is the Walter Payton Man of the Year honor. And Sam Humbert does a remarkable job in the community. And I think it's interesting that the Bengals have nominated him for a second straight year, Mo. 
I'm not shocked. I'm really not shocked. I mean, the way he carries himself, his demeanor, he, he's very serious when he needs to be, but he's also a very fun, very, you know, relaxed, easygoing guy when he needs to be. And the, the balance of those two, being competitive but being relaxed, you know, you couldn't ask for better. And on top of, you know, just his foundation and the initiatives he's done, like Hubbard's Cup boards and what he did for the, you know, Bellevue, Kentucky School District just south of Cincinnati, I mean, He's a great guy. He's a very, I think, just relaxing presence in the locker room when times are tough. But I also think when you need a source of motivation, that's the guy who's going to get you amped up. And so, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's remarkable. I'm not shocked. You know, this is what his fifth season. He's done a lot. He's he's seen the good and the bad and everything in between. So good for him. He certainly has. You know, he's a Cincinnati native too. On top of that, he really he really cares about the city because, it, like Kevin Huber, it's all he knows. And so good for him. Uh, so uh, just to um, wrap up the Sam Hubbard news, Sam Hubbard Foundation this year, including Hubbard's uh, bowling tournament in May that um, matched up current and former Bengals uh, players with fans in a mixing football and bowling. It's called the Foling Tournament, not the bowling tournament. Sam Hubbard's Foling <laughs> Tournament in May that matched up current and former Bengals players with fans in a game. Uh, mixing the two sports. The event raised over $47,000 and helps fund programs such as Hubbard Shop with a Pro Night, uh, Sam's Thanksgiving Food Drive, and the Sam Hubbard Youth Football Camp. Uh, he also partnered, and you mentioned this, Mo, he has uh, partnered with Cincinnati area students beginning with a back backpack drive in August, in which he distributed over 650 tailored backpacks to every student in the Bellevue, Kentucky school district. He additionally teamed up with Kroger back in October to launch Hubbard's, uh, Hubbard's Cupboards, a project that supports <laughs> nutritional and educational needs for students in the Mount Healthy school system. Uh, just a, a great guy, uh, wonderful athlete, and uh, really a great part of the community. Anything you're working on real quick as we wrap it up here, Mo? Not at the moment, uh, at least in the near future within this week. I'm trying to do a kind of an interesting column slash take, if you will, on why I think Andrew and Michael, my other co-host, disagree with me, but I, I think Michael. I'm making a case for why Lou Anarumo is a elite coordinator. Like I think he is elite, and I'm yeah. making a case for that because it's what he did against Mahomes, what he did against Lamar Jackson most of that Week Five game. I mean, what he did against Mahomes dating back to last year or last season within this calendar year. I mean, I think people recognize him for who he is, but I think he is recognized as elite in that word e-l-i-t-e there you go that's muhammad muhammad ahmad he does a great job covering the cincinnati bengals for cleveland.com be sure to listen to he uh listen to him andrew gillis and also mike nislick on the strictly stripes podcast you can catch that on cleveland.com and wherever you download your favorite podcast correct yes spotify right. apple and iHeartRadio. There you go. And you can also follow Muhammad at Muhammad Ahmad TV on Twitter, all one word. He is Muhammad Ahmad. I want to thank Muhammad for joining me on this episode of the Jungle Roar podcast forum. Muhammad, I'm Mike Petralia Trags. Thanks for watching this episode of the Jungle Roar podcast.